Section 12 of the Fireside Chats of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fireside Chats of Franklin Delano Roosevelt by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. April 14, 1938, Part 1. My friends, five months have gone by since i last spoke to the people of the nation about the state of the nation i had hoped to be able to defer this talk until next week because as we all know this is holy week but what i want to say to you the people of the country is of such immediate need and relates so closely to the lives of human beings and the prevention of human suffering that i have felt that there should be no delay in this decision i have been strengthened by the thought that by speaking to-night there may be greater peace of mind and that the hope of easter may be more real at firesides everywhere and therefore that it is not inappropriate to encourage peace when so many of us are thinking of the prince of peace five years ago we faced a very serious problem of economic and social recovery for four and a half years that recovery proceeded apace. It is only in the past seven months that it has received a visible setback, and it is only within the past two months, as we have waited patiently to see whether the forces of business itself would counteract it, that it has become apparent that government itself can no longer safely fail to take aggressive government steps to meet it this recession has not returned us to the disasters and suffering of the beginning of nineteen thirty three your money in the bank is safe farmers are no longer in deep distress and have greater purchasing power dangers of security speculation have been minimized national income is almost fifty per cent higher than in nineteen thirty two and government has an established and accepted responsibility for relief but i know that many of you have lost your jobs or have seen your friends or members of your families lose their jobs and i do not propose that the government shall pretend not to see these things i know that the effect of our present difficulties has been uneven that they have affected some groups and some localities seriously but that they have been scarcely felt in others but i conceive the first duty of government is to protect the economic welfare of all the people in all sections and in all groups i said in my message opening the last session of congress that if private enterprise did not provide jobs this spring government would take up the slack that i would not let the people down we have all learned the lesson that government cannot afford to wait until it has lost the power to act therefore my friends i have sent a message of far-reaching importance to the congress i want to read to you tonight certain passages from that message and to talk with you about them in that message i analyzed the causes of the collapse of nineteen twenty nine in these words over-speculation in and over-production of practically every article or instrument used by man. Millions of people, to be sure, had been put to work, but the products of their hands had exceeded the purchasing power of their pocketbooks. Under the inexorable law of supply and demand, 
supply so overran demand which would pay that production was compelled to stop unemployment and closed factories resulted hence the tragic years from nineteen twenty nine to nineteen thirty three i pointed out to the congress that the national income not the government's income but the total of the income of all the individual citizens and families of the united states every farmer every worker every banker every professional man and every person who lived on income derived from investments that national income had amounted in the year nineteen twenty nine to eighty one billion dollars by nineteen thirty two this had fallen to thirty eight billion dollars gradually and up until a few months ago it had risen to a total an annual total of sixty eight billion dollars a pretty good comeback from the low point i then said this to the congress but the very vigor of the recovery in both durable goods and consumers goods brought into the picture early on certain highly undesirable practices which were in large part responsible for the economic decline which began in the later months of that year again production outran the ability to buy there were many reasons for this overproduction one of them was fear fear of war abroad fear of inflation fear of nationwide strikes none of these fears have been borne out production in many important lines of goods outran the ability of the public to purchase them for example through the winter and spring of nineteen thirty seven cotton factories in hundreds of cases were running on a three-shift basis piling up cotton goods in the factory and in the hands of middlemen and retailers for example also automobile manufacturers not only turned out a normal increase of finished cars but encouraged the normal increase to run into abnormal figures using every known method to push their sales this meant of course that the steel mills of the nation ran on a twenty-four hour basis and the tire companies and cotton factories and glass factories and others speeded up to meet the same type of abnormally stimulated demand the buying power of the nation lagged behind thus by the autumn of nineteen thirty seven last autumn the nation again had stocks on hand which the consuming public could not buy because the purchasing power of the consuming public had not kept pace with the production during the same period the prices of many vital products had risen faster than was warranted in the case of many commodities the price to the consumer was raised well above the inflationary boom prices of nineteen twenty nine in many lines of goods and materials prices got so high that buyers and builders ceased to buy or to build the economic process of getting out the raw materials putting them through the manufacturing and finishing processes selling them to the retailers selling them to the consumer and finally using them got completely out of balance the laying off of workers came upon us last autumn and has been continuing at such a pace ever since that all of us government and banking and business and workers and those faced with destitution recognize the need for action all of this i said to the congress today 
and I repeat it to you, the people of the country, tonight. I went on to point out to the Senate and the House of Representatives that all the energies of government and business must be directed to increasing the national income, to putting more people into private jobs, to giving security and a feeling of security to all people in all walks of life. I am constantly thinking of all our people, unemployed and employed alike, of their human problems of food and clothing and homes and education and health and old age. You and I agree that security is our greatest need, the chance to work, the opportunity of making a reasonable profit in our business, whether it be a very small business or a larger one, the possibility of selling our farm products for enough money for our families to live on decently. I know these are the things that decide the well-being of all our people. Therefore, I am determined to do all in my power to help you attain that security. And because I know that the people themselves have a deep conviction that secure prosperity of that kind cannot be a lasting one, except on a basis of business fair dealing, and a basis where all, from the top to the bottom, share in the prosperity, I repeated to the Congress today that neither it nor the chief executive can afford to weaken or destroy great reforms which during the past five years have been effected on behalf of the American people. In our rehabilitation of the banking structure and of agriculture, in our provisions for adequate and cheaper credit for all types of business, in our acceptance of national responsibility for unemployment relief, in our strengthening of the credit of state and local government, in our encouragement of housing and slum clearance and home ownership, in our supervision of stock exchanges and public utility holding companies, and the issuance of new securities, in our provision for social security, the electorate of America wants no backward steps taken. We have recognized the right of labor to free organization, to collective bargaining, and machinery for the handling of labor relations is now in existence. The principles are established, even though we can all admit that through the evolution of time, administration and practices can be improved. Such improvement can come about most quickly and most peacefully through sincere efforts to understand and assist on the part of labor leaders and employers alike. The never-ceasing evolution of human society will doubtless bring forth new problems which will require new adjustments. Our immediate task is to consolidate and maintain the gains achieved. In this situation there is no reason and no occasion for any American to allow his fears to be aroused, or his energy and enterprise to be paralyzed, by doubt or uncertainty. I came to the conclusion that the present-day problem calls for action both by the government and by the people, that we suffer primarily from a failure of consumer demand because of lack of buying power. Therefore it is up to us to create an economic upturn. How and where can and should the government help to start an upward spiral? I went on in my message today to propose three groups of measures and I will summarize my recommendations. 
First, I asked for certain appropriations which are intended to keep the government expenditures for work relief and similar purposes during the coming fiscal year at the same rate of expenditure as at present. This includes additional money for the Works Progress Administration, additional funds for the Farm Security Administration, additional allotments for the National Youth Administration, and more money for the Civilian Conservation Corps, in order that it can maintain the existing number of camps now in operation. These appropriations, made necessary by increased unemployment, will cost about a billion and a quarter dollars more than the estimates which I sent to Congress on the 3rd of January. Second, I told the Congress that the administration proposes to make additional bank reserves available for the credit needs of the country. About $1,400,000,000 of gold now in the Treasury will be used to pay these additional expenses of the government, and three-quarters of a billion dollars of additional credit will be made available to the banks by reducing the reserves now required by the Federal Reserve Board. These two steps, taking care of the relief needs and adding to bank credits, are, in our best judgment, insufficient by themselves to start the nation on a sustained upward movement. Therefore I came to the third kind of government action which I consider to be vital. I said to the Congress, You and I cannot afford to equip ourselves with two rounds of ammunition where three rounds are necessary. If we stop at relief and credit, we may find ourselves without ammunition before the enemy is routed. If we are fully equipped with the third round of ammunition, we stand to win the battle against adversity. This third proposal is to make definite additions to the purchasing power of the nation by providing new work over and above the continuing of the old work. First, to enable the United States Housing Authority to undertake the immediate construction of about $300 million of additional slum clearance projects. Second, to renew a public works program by starting, as quickly as possible, about $1 billion worth of needed permanent public improvements in our states and their counties and cities. Third, to add $100 million to the estimate for federal aid highways in excess of the amount I recommended in January. Fourth, to add $37 million over and above the former estimate of $63 million for flood control and reclamation. Fifth, to add $25 million additional for federal buildings in various parts of the country. In recommending this program, I am thinking not only of the immediate economic needs of the people of the nation, but also of their personal liberties, the most precious possession of all Americans. I am thinking of our democracy and of the recent trend in other parts of the world away from the democratic ideal. Democracy has disappeared in several other great nations, disappeared not because the people of those nations disliked democracy, but because they had grown tired of unemployment and insecurity, of seeing their children hungry while they sat helpless in the face of government confusion and government weakness through lack of leadership in government. Finally, in desperation, they chose to sacrifice liberty in the hope of getting something to eat. We in America know that our own democratic institutions can be preserved and made to work. 
but in order to preserve them we need to act together to meet the problems of the nation boldly and to prove that the practical operation of democratic government is equal to the task of protecting the security of the people end of section 12 recording by maria casper